So we'll start, look at a few verses in Nehemiah. We've been going through the books of the Bible and doing a study through each of them to help you. Um, we don't know video to play, so that was we showed that last time. It went through Ezra and Nehemiah. But to help you, the main reason I'm doing this series through journeying through the Bible is so that as you take time to read the Word of God, you have some background on the books. And I cannot do an exhaustive study on each book. If you want to do that, it takes a long time. See, on Ephesians, we started in, um, whenever that was, in August. We still got a long ways to go on Wednesday nights. And so Nehemiah is double the length of um, Ephesians. And Nehemiah is one of my favorite Old Testament books. And there are several. The book of Nehemiah, and one of the things I want to encourage you with as we look at it today, um, if I were to title it, I'd probably title it What Godly Leaders Do. Nehemiah was a godly leader. And in our homes, in whatever capacity, at work, whatever the case may be, the areas that we lead in life, there's a lot of great lessons we can pick up from Nehemiah to help us in our lives as we're leaders, be it at home, be it in church, be it wherever the case may be. What godly leaders do. Look at Nehemiah chapter number one. I'm going to read the whole chapter here, and you're like, Pastor, how long are you going to preach? I'm preaching normal. When the sermon's done, it's done, so I don't cut anything short. We sang our normal songs. It's a normal service, not cutting anything short. But Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan the palace. And Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. The children of Israel, thy servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house of sin. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out of the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place which I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, and thy great and thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, now let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Father, I pray that the next few minutes that we have, we study the book of Nehemiah for a little bit of time, that we would take some of the principles that we see, some of the truths that we see here, and learn to apply them to our lives and help us as we go through these things. We love you. We need you. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've gone from Genesis, and now we're in the book of Nehemiah. Next week, Lord willing, 
be on the book of Esther, technically the last book of history in the Old Testament. What we'll have from there is there's some poetical books, and then you also have the prophets. And the prophets all lived during the time of everything we've read about to this time. So this is really getting to the end of the Old Testament right here, even though there are many more books to go with the Old Testament. And we'll dive and put all those together. And you think about this, when we look at this and we go through the 12 books of history, they started at the book of Joshua, and as I mentioned, they go through the book of Esther, and we cover about a thousand years time in this time. The time they entered into Canaan, they had civil war, divided kingdom, had their captivity, and then they return. Then there's 400 years of silence, and the New Testament comes into play. Post-captivity books. So you have after the captivity, post-captivity books are six of them. And I'm going to have a little chart I give you uh, one of these weeks to hand out to go along with it. If you miss the, some of the messages here and you're not here, I have all the handouts. I save all of them so you can have a copy. You have everything that I've got so that you can... I would hope that I put a three-ring hole there so maybe get a binder at home. And you save all of them to help you in your study of the Word of God. That's my whole point of the series here. So to help you as you dive in more. And so the six books are Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther... Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the six post-captivity books. After the 70 years in Babylon, we looked at, it was two weeks ago, we looked at the book of Ezra, and we saw things start to come together. And when they start to come together, the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, they cover about 100 years of history. Nehemiah covers only 11 years in the book of Nehemiah. We mentioned there are three main characters, and this is kind of reviewing where we've been for the book of Ezra, leading into Nehemiah. Three main characters. It begins with Zerubbabel and Ezra. And if you remember the book of Haggai, the book of Zechariah, they talk about Zerubbabel and the temple's rebuilt. Everything starts, the, the temple gets rebuilt. Remember there's a little stall in time where it's almost 16 years where nothing gets done. The foundation's been laid. And Haggai comes along and says, what have you guys been waiting for? God's been wanting this done. And that all, these all tie together. These books are all tied together. And Zerubbabel, in 538 B.C., they rebuild the temple. Ezra, towards the end of the book of Ezra, and you'll see some more even in the book of Nehemiah, around the year 458, he led the people back to pure and proper worship of the Lord. And then that leads us to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was written around 431 B.C. Now, interesting fact about this time. The, um, the Parthenon in Athens was completed right at this time. And Plato, not Plato that you play with, Plato would have been an elementary age child when the book of Nehemiah was finished at that time. And so we read chapter number one here, and I wanna, I'm going to give you in a minute, I'm going to give you a breakdown. I'm not giving you a breakdown. I'll give you kind of a breakdown of some things. I want to give you some helps on certain things. One thing I want to show you, this is something, I love the book of Nehemiah, and I believe every Christian should read it and study it. Every Christian leader should really study the book of Nehemiah. It gives great traits for godly leadership. And uh, there are many books of the Bible that do the same thing, but Old Testament Nehemiah is one of the best. And uh, let's go to chapter 2, verse number 1. We already read chapter number 1. It says, And it came to pass in the month, Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was brought before him. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in this presence. Now, even to go into the king's presence sad, he had the right to punish you. This was not... But he was mourning. Why was he mourning? Because his people were in distress. His brother had told him about this. Look at verse number two. <coughs> Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? 
Is there nothing else but sorrow of heart? Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make a request? Look what it says. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And he prayed a little quick short prayer in his head. Literally what he did, because he literally was answering the king. I want to I show you something that would be a good thing for us to learn. Nehemiah prayed a little prayer right then, because he had spent time before in prayer and fasting in chapter 1. Something that would be a big benefit to the lives of God's people, we need to learn to pray. And not just pray the little quick short prayer for God to take care of everything. Instead, spend time in prayer. Nehemiah could be confident in front of Artaxerxes because he had already spent time with God. He was prepared when he went before the king. A lot of times we wait till the last minute to add prayer. And he did, and that's not a bad thing. But it's a lot better to pray beforehand, as we see he did in chapter number 1. Chapter number 1, we see that Nehemiah, he is the king, the cupbearer. He's a high-ranking official in the Persian government. He was the cupbearer to the king, the most powerful king in all the nations. His brother gives him a report about Jerusalem. The walls, and one thing you got to remember, cities are so different back in Bible days than what they are today. But think about it this way. Fences are important for your house, right? And even walls are important today. We can get into that, and some people don't like talking about that, but their walls are not a bad thing. And I'm not... I'm not saying that, you know, anyways, I think you get the picture. Walls are for safety. In Bible days, walls needed their safety. They protected the city. The Bible talks about us. He says, he that hath no rule over his own spirits like a city that's broken down and without walls. And when you don't have your walls up, your defenses are down. And you need your walls for defense. And so what was happening, yes, they had the temple. Yes, they had worship back. But people would come into the city and do as they please because there were no walls. And so Nehemiah, he hears this news and it really comes to him and breaks his heart. He was concerned about his people. He wanted to do something about it. He prayed to God. One, another great lesson you can learn in chapter number one. A lot of the sins that Israel had committed, they were not Nehemiah's fault. But he took blame for all of it before God. I believe that that's what we need. We talk about our country and how wicked America is, and it is very wicked. We need godly Christians who will get on their knees and beg God for his mercy and confess our sin as a nation to God. All the aborted babies, all the things that God is against that this country stands for. We need God, and righteousness exalts a nation. We see in the first few chapters, the wall gets built. It was a great work. Um, the finishes the wall in about seven weeks, 52 days. He also ruled as governor in Jerusalem for about 12 years, Nehemiah did. And these walls averaged about 40 feet tall and ranged in width from 8 feet to 20 feet. They were used for selling. You could sell on them walking. It was a huge task to build a wall. It's a huge task to build a wall today. But back then, just imagine and think about it. So following their captivity in Babylon... Zerubbabel returns and he rebuilds the temple. And then Ezra is returned to reinstitute God's word. And Nehemiah returns to repair the wall and the physical defenses. Very simple outline for the book. Are you ready? Number one, rebuilding of the wall. Chapters one through chapter seven. Chapters one through chapter seven. And I want you to understand something. You say, well, chapter one was more his prayer. And that's not really them rebuilding the wall. The foundation for building the wall was his prayer in chapter number one. Because our Xerxes never would have let him do what he did without God's hand in on it. That's very evident. Chapter one through chapter seven, we see the rebuilding of the wall. 
Opposition came. We're going to talk about that opposition in a few minutes. And any time you do a work for God, there's going to be opposition that rises. But godly leaders learn how to deal with it. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So number one, rebuild. Number two, you see them all right there before you. Revival takes place. Chapters 8 through chapter 12. And powerful verses, powerful chapters. I encourage you sometime to sit down and read them and see this take place and see... um, Ezra bringing the word of God, and people would stand in the streets just to hear the word of God. Something that to keep a reminder to you, too. This is God's people. They had the word of God. They had all these things, and they got away from God. They lost it all. The people were hungering for God's word. They stood all day just to listen to it. Yeah, we got Bibles galore. What would happen if our Bibles were taken away? Be grateful for the word that you have and spend time in it. Be grateful, you know, technology today, we can look at it and say, man, there's a lot of wickedness, and there is with technology. There's a lot of great things, too. The fact that I can get on my phone and have the Bible with me any second I want to look at Scripture is a great thing. And use it for the glory of God. You see, revival breaks out. They rebuild, there's revival. And sadly, number three, there's a relapse in chapter 13. We keep seeing the people go back to the same things, and they keep messing things up. And it's amazing to me as we read through here, and sometimes we look, we read, and we want to be so hard on the children of Israel, but couldn't you just say that's about our lives, summed up in three points right here? We rebuild things, there's revival for a while, we relapse, then we got to rebuild things, and there's revival for a while, then we relapse. It sounds like life to me. And so in Nehemiah, they rebuilt the walls. Ezra and Nehemiah led the nation to repentance, and then they go back right into it at the end of the book. Nehemiah is a textbook on spiritual leadership. If there was ever, and I am never planning on writing a book. That's never been one of my things. I just don't know if I could do it. If I were to write a book, I would take the book of Nehemiah and write a book on leadership. That's what I would do. And uh, I'm not going to probably ever do it. So if any of you want to do it, I'll endorse it for you or something like that. I just want to talk to you for a few minutes today. I want to pick up, and basically that's the summary of the book. You say, well, we're done. No, it's got to be application for our lives. I'm going to give you a few points, probably about five of them, I think four or five, about what godly leaders do. And I want you to take, I want you to take heed today in your home, in church, in the workplace, young people in your youth group, in school, whatever the case may be. These could be a help to you and things that Nehemiah did that made him a godly leader. Number one, godly leaders care. Godly leaders care. We go back to chapter number one, and we see that in verse number four, the Bible tells us here, Nehemiah 1, verse 4, It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Do you care? Do you care about the road our country is going in? Do you care about your family? Do you care for your neighbors? Do you care for your city? Do you care for your church? Godly leaders care. You need to care. Number two, godly leaders pray. Man, you want to know a convicting thought that's throughout the book of Nehemiah? I'm going to show you all of these. I want you to, you're going to look at some verses with me. When you go to chapter number four, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Look at chapter number four. Verse number one, but it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brother in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was with was by him. 
And he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. They're really attacking them, right? Now look at what verse number four says. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach from their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Do you see when the ridicule came? What did Nehemiah do? He prayed. Go down to verse number 7, same chapter. It came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth and all, and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So we see once again, what does Nehemiah lead the people to do? They prayed. Go to chapter number 6. It's a running theme throughout the book of Nehemiah here. Nehemiah 6. Look down at verse number 5. The Bible says here, Then sent Sambalat, and this Sambalat guy, he just, he just was against the things of... And there is going to be opposition. But in the midst of opposition, you just keep doing the work God's called you to. And I love, Nehemiah said, I can't stop what I'm doing. I'm doing a great work. And opposition is going to come, but you just keep doing what you're supposed to do. You keep praying. And we're seeing this with um, Nehemiah here, verse number 5. It says, Then sent, then sent Sambalad his servant unto me, in like manner the fifth time was an open Fifth time. This is happening over and over again. Wherein was written his report among the heathen, that Gashmu said, That thou and the Jews think to rebel. For which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to their words? And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, let us take counsel together. And I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. And then in verse number 9, For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from their work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands he prayed again look at verse number 13 of this same chapter therefore and this happening here is there's a plot to discredit nehemiah the verse 13 therefore was he hired that he should that i should be afraid and do so and sin that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me my god think thou upon tobiah and sambalat man what's he doing again he's praying again go to chapter number 13 as the children of israel are going back to the things that they had been doing. We see what is Nehemiah doing. Look at chapter 13 and look down at verse number 10. The Bible says, And I perceive that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Go down to verse 11. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Verse number 14. It says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the officers thereof. There was a neglect in the tithes and offerings. And Nehemiah, he prayed to God. They violated the Sabbath by having business in verse 15 through 19 of chapter 13 here. And in verse 22, he once again, remember me, O my God, he prayed. 
Then there were these mixed marriages that took place that God was not for. And we see once again in verse number 29, he prayed to God again. Do you see a common theme with Nehemiah? Every time something comes up, he prayed to God. That should be our first answer to everything. But what happens so often in our lives, prayer is the last thing we think of. You know, oh, what can I do for this situation and this situation and that? And Nehemiah, someone comes to him trying to put off, let's pray. Oh, this, let's pray. There's opposition here, let's pray. They're trying to do these things to discredit me, let's pray. He understood prayer. Godly leaders need to pray. You see, number one, that godly leaders need to care. Number two, godly leaders need to pray. Number three, godly leaders act. Notice something in these passages we read. Action with Nehemiah. He would pray, and then he would do something. I love, I heard someone say this a long time ago, and I totally believe it. Pray like it all depends on God. Work like it all depends on you. You know it doesn't depend on you, but get up and do something. Get busy with it. God wants us to rely on him, but he also wants us to get up and do something. God doesn't want us to do his work for him. We see in the Bible when people try to do God's work, Abraham and Sarah, not the good idea to try and take care of God's things. But get up, Lord, we need, we want to see people saved. We want to see people baptized. Bring them to us. Get up off your chair and go invite people and go give them the gospel. That's what I'm talking about, things like that. Be courageous enough to deal with issues, to face them head on and act in a godly, spiritual, dedicated way. Godly leaders act. Godly leaders care. They pray. They act. And then, are you ready for number four? Godly leaders persevere against opposition. Godly leaders persevere against opposition. From without, they had issues on the outside. We'd read about them. Tobias, Sam Ballot, from without. But godly leaders persevere from op against opposition within as well. Go back to chapter four. Chapter number 4, Nehemiah. Verse number 10. It says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so we're not able to build the wall. Our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst of them and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times from all places, Whence they shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. And I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brother and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Man, godly leaders persevere against opposition and help lead. That's what a leader does, right? He leads. I'm thankful for godly leaders I've had in my life. Be thankful for godly leaders in your life. But godly leaders will persevere. You say, oh, it's just getting too tough, too hard to get people to... You realize this Holy Spirit's just as powerful today as he's ever been? No change. What are you so worried about? It's just not the same talking to people today as it was 25 years ago. God can still work today. Where you need a godly leader, say, let's just go get the job done. Let's call on God. Let's get a hold of God. You know, a big reason why our churches aren't as powerful as they used to be is because we lack prayer. Maybe we got back to prayer. I think there would be more power in churches. We'll talk more about that some other time. Godly leaders, they persevere against opposition. Go to chapter number 6, verse 15. Throughout all the opposition, look what happens. 
So the wall was finished. The 20th and 50th day of the month Elu, and the 50 and two days, 52 days. That's great. That's wonderful. All the opposition on the outside, all the opposition within. But godly leaders keep going. And people, and let me just say, followers need godly leaders to keep pushing for the things of God. In your home, you got to be a leader. Dad, step up to the plate and be a leader in your home. Wives, you be a leader too. Work together on this thing. Lead your home. Teach your children the truths of God's word. There's opposition all around our world today, but you can still do what's right today. Godly leaders persevere against opposition. Number five, godly leaders do what is right. Man, for sake of time, I'm not going to do it, but chapter 13, you read through what Nehemiah, <laughs> he contended with them, he cleansed them, he chastened them, he cursed them. He even physically dealt with some of the issues. He tried to get the people to do what was right. But at the end of the day, that's exactly what it is. It's called servant leadership. You can't. I, there are so many times, I got some text messages today from some people in our church that are really struggling. And I just wish they would have listened to me. And that sounds awful to say, okay? I know. I knew this is what was going to happen. And I told them they needed to watch so this didn't happen. I get a text message right before the 11 o'clock service. It happened. That's, I wish I could just make people do what they need to do. I can't. I need to be a good example and do what's right. And I also need to be available, which I've been a little bit this afternoon, and I will later on today, to reach out to those who don't do what's right. Try and encourage them to get back on board and do what they need to do. But godly leaders do what's right. Godly leaders care. Godly leaders pray. Godly leaders act. Godly leaders persevere. And they do what's right. Get yourself around a godly leader that's that way. I have this list written out for myself. This is what I strive to be. I fail at it way more than I succeed at it. But as a pastor, this is what you need in a pastor, these things. As a Sunday school teacher, that's what your kids need in you. As a parent, this is what your kids need in you. As a husband, wife, this is what you need with each other and working together. As we come to the end of the historical books, next week we'll finish up the book of Esther. What we see at the end of this book is the same thing we saw in the struggle in the book of Genesis. They're still struggling with sin a, a thousand years later. This is what the Old Testament shows us. There was no answer to fix the problem in the Old Testament. There was a promise of a coming Messiah that would, could fix the problem. And in the book of Jeremiah and in others, I talk about the fact that he would give them a new heart. The only hope that Israel had was not in the law as we looked at this morning. Their hope was coming in Jesus Christ. And what they needed, they tried over and over again. But you see, when you keep trying, you keep failing because you're doing it in your own. They needed Jesus. And everything points to that. The whole Testament. They'll say, if we live in the New Testament age, why do we need the Old Testament? Oh, we need the Old Testament. It's, it's the inspired word of God, the entire thing. We need the Old and New. Yeah, I know there are some things that we don't follow in the Old Testament. And you say, well, pastor, I follow all of them. Then don't eat bacon anytime soon, okay? And... Um, there are some things that we don't follow in the Old Testament, but there's so much there for us. The book of Nehemiah right here, and how godly leaders should be. So much for us in these books. And so much, but what you see throughout the Old Testament is, man could not fix man. And they would try. And then they would get, a, they would, God brought, gave them the judges after Joshua. And the judges would help the people do right for a little bit of time. 
and they would get right back to sin. I would have to raise up another one, and it kept messing things up. So the people say, we want a king, so God gives them a king. And the king, it doesn't start out very well with Saul, because that wasn't God's timing. They did it on their own timing. So then God gives them David, and it goes a lot better with David for a while. But David wasn't perfect, and David had some big mess-ups in his life. And Solomon started out really well, and the kingdom was great growing and prospering under Solomon. And then Solomon got too high and mighty in his own mind and did the very things that God told him not to do. And we see the kingdom gets divided. And God keeps warning them, you need to do what's right. You need to do what's right through the prophets. And they don't listen. And then you see that the northern kingdom, Israel, gets taken captive by Assyria. And the southern kingdom, hey, do you see what's happened to them? You better get right with God. And there were a few good kings that God used to bring some revival for a little bit of time. Hezekiah, Josiah, and Asa would be the three I would consider. And he used them and, brought some, and it got held off a little bit. Then captivity came. Captivity goes on for 70 years because they, instead of giving rest to the land for all that 490 years, they didn't follow God's command. That's why 70 years was set. The 70 years goes by, and God lets them come back. Uses kings of, wicked kings to send the people back. Zerubbabel starts, the house of God gets rebuilt. Things are looking good. The worship gets put back in place. Nehemiah comes, the walls are built, and God's ready to do great things with his people. And once again, they mess it all up. God has a way to save everything, and it's through Jesus Christ. People need Jesus. He's the one everything. But the Old Testament shows that man tried and tried and tried to never get it right. Man needed something that would be truly transforming. And when you get saved, you become a new creature. And those old things are passed away, and all things become new. And you're still a mess. But when God looks at you, he sees his son's righteousness, and not my mess. Praise God for that. Great book of Nehemiah. And next week we'll look at the book of Esther and continue on until we get through the books of the Bible, or until the Lord comes, whichever one comes first. And I'd much rather have him come anytime he's ready. So, Father, we love you. Thank you for this, this afternoon. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can open it and study and help us be students of the word and to love your word. Pray that these studies that we do through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, that we take these things and then read these books and have a little bit more insight as we go through and understand a little bit better what you're trying to do in these books. We love you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.